Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and today's episode is another crossover with my other podcast, Every Version Ever. We're still in our Peter and the Wolf series, but this time, this episode here is an extended version of three shorter episodes. Nikki from Trivial Theater joined me to talk about three different kids' show parodies of Peter and the Wolf, and as usual, we went on several tangents while recording those episodes. So, since we were already talking about well-known, beloved, nostalgic properties, I figured we could combine them all into one long episode, keeping the tangents that got removed, and make an extended version for this podcast. Peter and the Wolf doesn't have a ton of versions out there, and is a lot less familiar than many of the other stories that I've covered on every version ever, but it's well-known enough that it has been parodied several times, including in the three versions we're talking today where characters from Sesame Street, Tiny Toons, and the Muppet Babies all take on characters or elements from the symphony and put their own unique spins on them. I guess what order do you want to go in with these? Is it just kind of go... Well, I was... I watched them in release order. So I watched Muppet Babies first, then Tiny Toons, and then the Sesame Street one. And after I got done, I was like, I think I want to talk about them in this order, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like... You know, it's kind of hard to tell... Because I, I, I'm thinking of them as like, it went from worst to best. But it depends on what you're looking for in the entertainment because tiny tunes was really funny <laughs> but it oh was... it was hilarious and and i watched them i did muppet i did them in i don't even know how i picked the order i guess i did them in alphabetical i went muppet <laughs> babies sesame street and then tiny tunes okay so i my and i don't know how much we want to get into this or like how you want to get into this here but like i grew up with muppet babies okay so like it like seeing these characters again it's like oh i forgot about you know the the cuteness and the fact that scooter and skeeter are a thing and the fact that you never see you know scooter ever again like this is the only place she shows up in any skeeter is it skeeter skeeter's skeeter's the one who you never see ever again the little girl, only in Muppet yeah. babies right scooter is everywhere like he was one of the original why did Muppets. i think that it was the other oh I, I got their names like i meant the boy one yeah okay so it was well it didn't it didn't help that they cast skeeter in the part of peter so that right. might have been what confused you yeah well and yeah because i remember seeing like a robot chicken thing on um they did the the uh, muppet babies thing and they they they're like what happened to, to skeeter and they're like oh this is the only place she shows up and then she's never seen again and yeah anyway so <laughs> neither here nor there a completely random tangent but uh anyway <laughs> yeah it'd be nice if they used her in something else but i have a feeling that they just made her up for this show because it was like we need another girl because we only have one <laughs> yeah literally that's i'm sure that's probably the only reason and i don't know the whole the whole twin thing kind of makes me think of like uh rugrats as well because you kind of get that oh. <laughs> same vibe with uh the, the twins phil and lil yeah Anyway, random. No, that's fine. I was going to ask you how familiar you were with Muppet Babies anyway, so. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I grew up on them. Um, I don't remember a ton, but I remember, you know, I remember the, the characters and how it was weird that, like, Animal looks like an actual tiny baby with the, the, <laughs> the bonnet thing. Everybody else, like, they don't, they're not a consistent age. Like, yeah. Wolf has a diaper. None of the other ones really have a diaper. 
why does Miss Piggy have like a ring? It's kind of weird. <laughs> you never see Nanny's face. Yeah, I didn't. I I th- I think I watched some Muppet Babies as a kid, but it was one of those shows. Like it was out around the time that I was born. So by the time I would have been old enough to remember, it would have been in repeats. And I don't think I watched a ton of it, but right. I know I've seen some of it. But it wasn't like I'm I'm not super familiar with it. I'm more familiar with just the Muppets in general. Oh, yeah. Well, and, I and the grew up Mupp- on Muppets, of course. Oh, 100% same. Like the Muppets were absolute life back in the day. Mm-hmm. So what about Peter and the Wolf? How familiar are you with that? Um, a little bit. I, um, once we got talking, like once I got looking at it, I was like, oh yeah, I I think I remember seeing it at one point. I think we did it in school at one point or a variation on it, Mm -hmm. but the actual, I, this is the most exposure I've had to it over the course of these three children's pieces. Mm -hmm. But it kind of got me thinking like, you know, uh, like how Looney Tunes, you know, like anything I know about opera is because of Looney Tunes. (laughs) And it kind of falls into that same thing here. Like when I heard the music in the various specials that kind of got more into that, it's like, oh, I know, I know that song. I'm familiar with these melodies, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah. Did you ever watch the Disney version? I don't think so. Okay. Cause that's how I'm most familiar with this. I think we had an album of like classical music for kids too, or something like that. Oh, cool. But the Disney version is like the most, the reason I'm most familiar with it. I'm sure I've said this on other episodes of this series, but we had a VHS tape with Peter and the Wolf and some other musical Disney cartoons. And so it got a bunch of replay when we were kids. So I'm very familiar with it. That's awesome. (laughs) But yeah, getting into the Muppet Babies version, I was expecting more music. (laughs) They didn't use any of the music from the symphony at all, which no, was really didn't. strange. Well, and like Ralph's whole, Ralph's whole introduction to like, Oh, here, here's a random instrument. Oh, here, you know, here's this random kazoo. Like I was expecting slide whistles and stuff out to come out next. And th- th- there wasn't a lot of like, even when animal gets the little, the little horn thing and he takes off or the bike horn thing and he takes off the, the rubber part of it. Mm-hmm. There's no real correlation to the, the both of those it's like Rolf wants to do uh, a symphony you know he, he wants animal to be a lion or whatever and there's really nothing that connects the two of them really like it's kind of even though it's a kid's show and obviously it's you know your tie your your storytelling is going to be a bit random to start with but the ties at best were tenuous even for a kid's show yeah they had like the basic outline of the story and they had nanny telling them the story but then they kind of go off in their own direction when she stops telling the story to go and do something else so you almost don't even get the actual story you just get i don't want to call it like fan fiction but you almost get like their own version of it oh it totally is that but i did like seeing the different characters take on the different roles that's that was the one thing that I was looking forward to in these three pieces was seeing who was going to be in which character. So I liked seeing like Gonzo as the bird and mm-hmm. Skeeter as Peter and Fozzie as the duck. I did really like that they had Fozzie 
like because in the story the duck is eaten so Fozzie is the duck and they just talk about him disappearing like they very explicitly <laughs> avoided saying that he was eaten or that he died even though it's that's obvious <laughs> what happened they just kind of the don't case, say it yeah that's kind of the case across all three versions like i guess you kind of get a little bit more of that in tiny tunes but even in the sesame street version um i the... love we'll get to it but i loved how they handled it yeah, the sesame that was, street that version. Was, it was so cute but again like you say they they didn't really address what actually happened it was just oh well you know he went goodbye for now he went to live in a farm out in the country <laughs> something like that <laughs> you know how they picked like gonzo and, and fozzy to be the various um animals they did translate the animals pretty well from the muppets i think yes but scooter looked weird but they did call that out <laughs> yeah <laughs> scooter was a weird cat <laughs> yeah he had the weird little like the, the the little hair thing sticking up in between his ears and yeah that was odd <laughs> i think animal would have been a better cat than scooter yeah but i suppose like animal is such a weird character to start with <laughs> i did notice too that every and i forgot this every time he speaks like it's almost like like he basically starts everything he says with the same kind of noise, which is neither here nor there. It's just one of those random <laughs> little things. It's like, <laughs> well, the the adult animal kind of makes weird noises too, just in a deeper voice. <laughs> True, but it's like every every sentence he says, it's like starting every sentence with you know, hmm, you know, it's it's mm. basically it's the same cadence with everything he says whether he's asking a question or making a declarative statement or whatever so again mm. small small things that are unrelated but <laughs> i was actually surprised that and i guess there was not a reason for it to be but i'm i was surprised that peggy and um kermit weren't more kind of center stage that's true they were very much side characters in this yeah. Like they weren't even part of the main plot. They kind of got separated from the rest and were off doing their own thing. Yeah. And I guess that's sort of the point. Like not everything has to revolve around them and it shouldn't, you know, it's a, it's an ensemble cast if you want to look at it that way, but it was, mm -hmm. I don't know. And obviously you wouldn't have had Piggy pay, play Peter by any stretch, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how else they could have been used. Agreed. Although at at the end they had everybody join in on the story, like I guess they were taking the place of the hunters, because like in the end of the story, the hunters help Peter wrangle the wolf and parade him into town to bring to the zoo in like oh, yeah. the actual story. So they kind of gave them that position in the end of this. True. But yeah, they weren't otherwise involved in the Peter and the Wolf story. I did like how they were very confused by the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> and the and it terrified everyone else. <laughs> I guess well, if you didn't know what it was, hearing that come out of a dark attic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys. Now we can't forget why we came here. that this house 
is just how how is this house this big like it, it goes on for days it's like a tardis <laughs> <laughs> and also I'm like i don't know the lore of the muppet babies but like is nanny their mother did she adopt them all it's never or... really from what i remember <laughs> and regarded the last time i watched this i was pretty little but i don't think they ever really said I always just assumed that she was, as her name implied, uh, like a, a nanny. But it always seemed like more lived in than otherwise. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think my guess is that the, somebody just liked that one scene with all the baby Muppet versions in Muppets Take Manhattan. And we're like, let's turn it into a cartoon and not give it any other thought. <laughs> <laughs> Highly possible. But, you know, that things uh, great things have come from less. <laughs> I guess I don't really have anything more to say about this one. No, not really. Was, it... There just wasn't a whole lot of Peter and the Wolf in this, other than Nanny telling the story and them making up their own ending for it. Yeah, and given what it is, I mean, it's still... I, I don't know, the fact that it's still... You've got... I mean, I'm trying to think what probably the age range is from Muppet Babies. At the time, maybe, like, up to maybe eight or nine at most, as far as what the main demographic was for it. I'm not sure. They, and I'm not the one to ask because I had much younger siblings and I we watched like toddler shows when I was like 12, so Oh no, and I and I don't mean anything like that. I just I'm trying to think like I guess what I'm trying to say is introducing things like Peter and the Wolf or opera pieces or classic mm -hmm. classic things of this nature at an early age, I mean, is is a cool thing and it's not done perfectly by any stretch and kind of discussed a little bit about it, but I, I think it's still a neat thing that they decided to go that route and, and take, take the risk to do that. Mm -hmm. Cause you yeah. don't necessarily see, I don't know. It's not, I don't watch a lot of kids shows obviously, but you, you don't, you don't see that with a lot of shows. Yeah. And, and I don't keep up with, I mean, I watch a few shows that would be considered kids shows, but I don't keep up with, things so i don't know if they have shows like that or not like they used to but yeah i suppose i'm not sure but even just like they had the when um piggy and uh, uh kermit were carrying around the the accordion they had like the old black and white i think it was of um laurel and hardy's uh piano moving short it was a silent from way way back probably the 1920s or maybe the 30s and it's just kind of a neat little additional thing in there yeah that I think they still try to do some things like that in kids shows, like throw in little nods to things for adults. Yeah. Well, and too, if you go, if you're fast forwarding, cause this was probably what late eighties, mid to late eighties. Probably. I'm not sure the exact year. Let me see if I can. 89. Okay. Then yeah, it would have been, you know, that the, you're talking 30 additional years of history. So stuff, you know, from the, from the 90s would be considered you know relatively a uh, legend media or um legacy media for things like that all right well i guess that's probably the end of my babies <laughs> <laughs> i it was it was cute uh, i just wish there had been more actual music and story yeah no it's, just, 100%. it's so weird that they didn't use the music at all i was just i guess i was expecting them to do like that because like animal had that little horn and rolf had the piano i was expecting them to do like 
their version of it, like do the music, but have it on completely different instruments than what it is in the actual symphony. Oh, agreed. But then they just never did. <laughs> it was it definitely was its own thing. But to some extent, I mean, the Muppets have always kind of done their own thing in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, depending on the version, but what it's it's kind of weird when I thinking back of different things that the Muppets have done, like Muppet Wizard of Oz. I remember watching that and I was like, this is closer to the book than the MGM version of Wizard really? of Oz. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, wow. strangely, strangely loyal to the source material. Like, of course, they have their own <laughs> Muppety spin on things, but like they had actual silver shoes because the ruby slippers were from the MGM version. The book had silver shoes. They had four witches. Just so many weird little things that are directly from the book that the MGM version just never did. Well, do you think with the, at least the shoe part of it, they probably couldn't use the ruby slippers because that oh, was a specifically MGM thing? Yeah, no, no version can do ruby slippers unless they pay MGM gobs of money. So anytime, anytime you've seen ruby slippers in any other Oz media, they have paid lots of money to be able to use ruby slippers. <laughs> Because at this point, people would think it's weird because they're, they're so iconic to the story of the Wizard of Oz, even though they're not from the book. Right. In a lot of ways, it almost counts for more in that respect. Mm. Well, I think that's probably why people are willing to pay that much to use them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> money is money is spent for reasons. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, on to Tiny Toons, Buster and the Wolverine. Yes. They're tiny, they're toony, they're all a little loony. <laughs> How familiar with with Tiny Tunes are you? Uh you I grew up on kid? I grew up on Looney Tunes. Um so yeah, there was a little bit of Tiny Tunes that I was that I knew about, but I didn't really watch a ton of it. Mm -hmm. Um but I understand the characters and kind of how they play in and all that stuff, so Yeah, that I'm same. I Looney Tunes Every Saturday, had to watch Looney Tunes. Yep. That was the most important show. <laughs> and Tiny Tunes, we didn't have cable, so the only time I watched Tiny Tunes was like going to Grandma's house. And I, I loved Tiny Tunes when I was able to watch it, but I didn't get to watch it very often. Just that was one of those shows that you could only see when you go to Grandma and Grandma's because they had cable and we didn't. <laughs> little little uh, little things like that are always awesome. So yeah. I watched Tiny Toons off and on as a kid. I got the DVDs later on when they started releasing DVDs. So I've watched a lot more as an adult than I did as a kid. And this was another one. I guess I was expecting them to do... I'm not, I'm not sure how much of the music they used. I don't think they used any of it. I thought I heard maybe a tiny bit of it at one point, but... I guess I was, uh, this is another case where I was expecting them to do their own thing because they each had their own instruments that were not mm -hmm. the instruments used in the actual symphony. So I expected them to play it themselves, like on the trumpet and electric guitar and whatever mm -hmm. else they had. And they also didn't do a whole lot as far as like trying to do one-on-one -on -one comparisons for the characters. Because I, I guess I expected Buster to be Peter, but then you also had Babs too, so I guess it would make sense for them to have both of them be in the Peter character role. But then you have characters that 
like they don't fit into the story at all. You have Hampton for some reason, <laughs> the pig. <laughs> And, and I there mean, wasn't a pig in, in the movie or in the original thing. My goodness. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but you you have characters that they're like, they're perfect for the roles that they could have had, like Plucky Duck. And then you have Furball and Sweetie because there's a cat and a bird. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking, too, as it went along. It was it was odd that they didn't stick a little bit more with that. Mm-hmm. It seemed like they ran, like they kind of went with their ideas, but then they kind of ran out and just kind of started scrambling for anything that would work. Yeah, and I, I guess I expected it to be more close to the actual symphony, especially because of the way they opened with Elmira introducing, like, at an actual symphony hall. Yeah, so the, I, the cereal bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome, dear friends and cultural lovers, to the Agni Acres Bowl, where we present tonight's Tiny Toon musical adventure, Buster and the Wolverine. <laughs> Lovely, isn't it? <laughs> so I expected them to like do a full-on symphony performance in the vein of Looney Tunes, because like Looney Tunes did that kind of thing all the time. They had like full, I mean seven minutes, but like full-on opera and all sorts of different classical spoofs. And I thought that that's what this was going to be too, but it really wasn't. No, it definitely wasn't. Like it. They all kind of bring back the whole idea of how each character is represented by a different ant or different instrument and whatnot, but that's really the only thing that connects them to what's going on otherwise. Yeah, because, and then they don't even have, like, they they make that connection at the beginning, but then the, the really the only connection is with the instruments is, well, they're in a marching band, so this is the instrument that each one of them plays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I will say, as someone that played the flute, uh tweet or uh sweetie is playing it all wrong <laughs> i was very disappointed in that <laughs> that seems to happen with a lot of cartoons like you watch them and it's like it's obvious that they have no idea how this thing is played even like even me who doesn't play really anything i can like plink out a few things on a piano but i can tell when people aren't playing things correctly and it's also like it also bugs me, like, with cartoons, like, you ever watch anyone knit in cartoons? It is obvious they have no idea how to knit, because I know how to knit, and they hold the, the, the needles all wrong. You will get nothing holding the needles like that. <laughs> like, the stereotypical granny holding knitting needles and, like, a little a scarf, like, snakes out of the knit. That, that does not happen. <laughs> <laughs> and the needles are basically held upside down and everybody always holds them right side up in cartoons they do they don't. <laughs> but that's a whole other rabbit trail <laughs> <laughs> another thing for another day yeah the the one thing that i thought sounded vaguely similar to the actual symphony was when they said drums represent the wolverine and the drums sounded vaguely similar to the hunter's theme because the wolverine i think the wolverine is a french horn yep yep at least according to the sesame street one yeah so he's not drums but 
the Wolverine gets drums in this version. And I, that was the part where maybe they were using the music, but I'm not 100% sure there. Yeah. Well, and it's such a loose take. I mean, at least from the start, you get the idea that it's not specific. Like, they're taking inspiration from Peter and the Wolf, but it's not a specific, like, straight adaptation of it. Yeah. It was basically some nods here and there between a lot of ridiculous cartoon gags. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that kind of follows with Tiny Toons. But yeah. yeah, it would have been cool to see more of the more of the the way that they did it with 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 uh, with Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. And I will also add, my God, I the animation in in this particular one, and not to say that Muppet Babies has great animation by any stretch, but it's relatively consistent. The animation quality differs so much with like Tiny Tunes. Like it goes between okay, and then it just goes downhill, and then it's back up and. I, it's just us sitting there like oh my god <laughs> yeah there were a lot of moments where they were very off model and part of me is like maybe that's a choice that they made because they're just being really cartoony with it but i don't know they were really off model at times oh yeah absolutely so and i mean you didn't necessarily get that like that is kind of a thing of that era it seems like like you go with the whether you're talking G.I. Joe or Gem or this, they there is that lack of quality, consistent quality. Mm-hmm. Like if it's going to be bad animation, fine, have it be bad animation. But it goes from, you know, relatively okay to all of a sudden, you know, one finger is, you know, three times the size of the other ones. <laughs> well, maybe that was their <laughs> stylistic choice. I don't know. I suppose, but even in that respect, I mean, it's it's a it's a small point in the grand scheme. But, and I get that it it's not supposed to be consistent. But even within their character stuff, there should be some consistency. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Thing of the age. I suddenly feel like an old man yelling at the sky, like, "Get off my lawn, you kids!" <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite part of this whole thing was Plucky. But Plucky's always been one of my favorite characters anyway. Oh, he's hilarious. I, I loved that he, at the beginning his instrument was a bicycle horn. <laughs> <laughs> and he's upset about that. <laughs> and the way Elmira said a bicycle horn, I don't know. There's just something about the way she pronounced bicycle that cracked me up. <laughs> oh, man. And last and debatably least is Plucky Duck, represented by... A bicycle What? A bicorn? For a star of my magnitude? It's an insult. And furthermore, I... I, I really enjoy Hamilton. He's just such a weird... Just such a random character. And I don't know, like spends his time sweeping and the whole like when we're introduced to him with the tuba just the way he plays it it feels very very looney tunes esque <laughs> they do a good job of making things feel looney tunes esque oh very much like the they really it really is a spiritual successor to the looney tunes and the looney tunes show up in the show from time to time too and you even had one character in this the the minor bird thing mm-hmm. was from looney tunes Oh yeah, that was that was great. I I loved later on too when Plucky 
he's sick of like because he ended up swallowing the bicycle horn he's sick of like having to squeeze his stomach he wants a new instrument and a pipe organ falls on his head (laughs) (laughs) and then a bagpipe right after that (laughs) 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 and then uh, his his line after that when he's trying to like they think that hampton has been eaten so they're all trying to avenge his death and He's going to be, he wants to be the one to capture it. And he says, they say music can soothe the savage beast. One toot on this musical vacuum cleaner and Wolfie will be eating out of my hands. (laughs) And then the Wolverine snatches the bagpipe out of his hands and eats it. say music can sue the savage beast. One toot on this musical vacuum cleaner and Wolvie will be eating out of my hands. Somehow that's not quite what I meant. I did also enjoy with Plucky when the, uh, he's like, oh, come on, you know, you've, I've been getting the, I don't remember how the line goes, basically the short end of the stick all day when it comes to instruments, give me something good. And then he gets like the gigantic light and uh, music show. <laughs> the oh. giant synthesizer machine yeah that's such a thing of that age and it was just yeah. so perfect that was another instance where i was like oh they should totally do a synth version of the peter and the wolf's theme <laughs> and then they didn't <laughs> they just had it be a laser show that zapped the wolverine <laughs> well it goes to show the power of music and lasers i guess <laughs> something like that <laughs> I, I kind of forgot about Sweetie though. Like her little bit was actually pretty cool. The the different voices they pull in and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. All that stuff kind of yeah. worked. It was it was kind of a neat thing to see, like just the variation of voices and all that good stuff. Yeah, I like Sweetie. Tweety's always been like my favorite, so I I like Sweetie as just like she's Tweety's protege, I guess. Like each one has the Looney Tune that they look up to and Mm-hmm. So I like her for that reason, but I also, she's her own character too. And I love the different voices that she does. Like you said, like when she gets really mad and like, she has a really deep voice. Furball, <laughs> 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 Somewhere in these woods lurks a hideous drooling monster. A beast who lives only to feed off the weak and the helpless. His one driving thought. Eat, eat, eat. No one is safe from his terrible appetite. We are all just meat on the plate for him. Tender little morsels waiting to be snapped up. Who will be his next victim? The suspense snapped Furball's tiny mind. Hold on, cat. I'll save you. Now you relax and look at the pretty stars. I guess I didn't relax him enough. I was looking at the end too, just some of the um the voice talent that they use for this. Like there's still a lot of them are still doing it, and not to say this was like 50 years ago, but a lot of that voice talent is still doing a lot of voice work today. Mm-hmm. They're talking Cree Summer or um I'm trying to think who the other people were. I mean, most of them I recognized as, oh, well, they do this and they do that and whatnot. So, yeah, you have, of course, Tress McNeil. She's she's everywhere. Like, she's oh, yeah. one of the most prolific voice actresses that I can recognize anyway. 
I just look in here. Who else? Um, Frank Welker. I mean, oh, he did course. everything. Like you know, he did he did so much stuff with like uh, Scooby Doo going all the way back, and yeah, it's it's amazing. Charlie Adler, and I mean, the the list goes on, and you recognize the voices, but they manage to make them unique enough to kind of keep it keep it mm-hmm. different with each thing they do. Yeah, I'm wondering. I mean, it's a, a lot of them are probably still working because um, they're they're working on a reboot of of tiny tunes really and yeah and i'm wondering how many of these because like when they did animaniacs they got everybody back so i'm hoping they'll do the same for this although i've heard they're not going to have elmira which i'm annoyed about because i always loved elmira (laughs) yeah they kind of do that though like um you look at like the last space jam and they left out peppy Le Pew because he was considered problematic and i don't know what it would be about elmira maybe because she's just kind of a animal abuser <laughs> yeah yeah that or i mean but it's, it's a cartoon so it's yeah. not like there everybody gets abused in some way oh agreed agreed but i suppose it depends on i don't know, maybe it's the she's not exactly the most intelligent apple to fall out of the tree i don't know i know i'm i might be in the minority and really liking her because i know like when she was paired up with pinky and the brain for that short-lived spinoff people were furious about it Really? Wow. I thought it was hilarious, of course, because I like her and I like <laughs> Pinky and the Brain. I was like, this is such a weird combination and I love it. But then it was canceled after like 13 episodes because nobody liked it. Yeah. People can be finicky, you know, um, when they look back to like, oh, well, this isn't the Pinky and the Brain. Like how, you know, you're, you're, you've got these resources and you're spending it on putting these two together. You know, let them, I don't know, be on their own and be better. It's hard to know. People can be so strange about stuff. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, too, I liked the scene with when the Wolverine captures Sweetie and Furball is, like, sobbing. <laughs> oh, poor little Sweetie, gone forever. It's not fair. I wanted to eat her. everybody gets eaten just that whole sequence i don't know like it, it's so it's so silly it's, it's so like, oh, looney tunes alive inside hey guys you all right he <laughs> <laughs> like puts a bill in front of his face you know looks like everything's okay except for your bill here you go and he just gets all angry and stuff <laughs> <laughs> dr bills will never not be funny <laughs> At least uh, until you're given one <laughs> yes yes well, I think that's probably all I've got for this one. Basically, it's not good as a, as a Peter the Wolf adaptation, but it's still very entertaining as a ridiculous cartoon. Oh, 100%. And it definitely, the Muppet Babies for, I mean, it's a, it's a cute little show, but it felt long. Like you could, you could it yes. felt almost half an hour. Yes. This one didn't. Like it still, it had yeah. moments where it dragged, but by and large... It was much more entertaining. It had a lot more going on. The characters were more dynamic. But again, just looking at the shows, there's a much different demographic, generally speaking. Yeah. Tiny Toons basically is kind of an all-ages show. Like, I mean, they market it to kids, but they make it specifically for anybody. 
Like literally anybody can watch it and be entertained. Oh yeah. And Muppet Babies it's for little kids. Exactly. I was I was kind of bored. Yeah, and it's again it 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 fits the it fits the, the demographic that it's supposed to hit. Mm-hmm. And it was probably a cool way for little kids to learn about, you know, even if just a little bit of an introduction to Peter and the Wolf. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it definitely, if you're anyone outside of that, it did lack a bit. So, Moving on to Sesame Street, this is the one where if you want an actual good introduction to Peter and the Wolf for little kids, this is perfect. Oh, it's very good. This this is what I, I wanted all the other things to be. <laughs> so you're saying you save the best for last. Yeah. And I mean, I think I probably as as like a piece of entertainment, I probably was a little bit more entertained by Tiny Tunes as far as like it being hilarious. But I enjoyed this one more as an adaptation of Peter and the Wolf because they did everything that they needed to. Right. Well, and this is, you know, it because it's because it's um sesame street i think there is a different level of expectation if they didn't yeah. do a, a a decent solid um version then you'd look at it and go okay you spent you know 40 minutes or whatever um telling this tale and it wasn't semi-accurate yeah and i think especially because it's sesame street like there's an expectation of them to be educational and if you want to introduce kids to classical music and be educational with it, Peter and the Wolf is the perfect thing to go with. Agreed. It's kind of interesting that they called this, like they sold this as Elmo's Musical Adventure, but like it does not say that anywhere in the show. It's specifically called Peter and the Wolf in the actual episode. <laughs> well, and it might have been, was it maybe like a series that they did? Like they did Elmo's Musical Adventure, but it was, you know, maybe this and then they went on to do other other musicals? I don't think so. They they were, from what I can tell, looking at their the Muppet Wiki, um, that they were making Peter and the Wolf. Like oh. that that was the whole point of this. I don't specific. think it was part of another series. Oh okay. okay. I think they were just kind of using Elmo's star power to sell the tape, probably. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, then and now, I mean, Elmo is one of those driving forces. I mean, for whatever you've got, you know, for whatever Big Bird or um uh zoe or any of the others or grover whoever bring to the table i mean elmo Mm -hmm. is kind of the star of the show yeah these days it kind of is when i was younger like really young i didn't care and then i got older and then i I think it was one of those things where you like hear people talking negatively about something and then at that point i was like there's too much elmo i don't like elmo (laughs) and so i was kind of like anti-elmo but now looking back Elmo is Elmo can be hilarious. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, and I think it's it's oversaturation. It's like you could have yeah, a really good too. song on the radio, and even though the song didn't do anything wrong, it's played so much. Yeah. And it just gets it, it kind of kills it. Like like even when I was a kid, like, you know, you had tickle me Elmo and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Elmo <laughs> he was everywhere as when I was a kid. Oh yeah. And still is to, I mean to some extent, I guess. Yeah, he's kind of the star. They've kind of added in that um, Abby Cadabby fairy. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like both of them are the stars of the show now, I guess. I haven't really watched Sesame Street recently. so no, I haven't either. I, I, I was see, always my I favorite. I see clips that go viral. That's, that's <laughs> about the 
recently people have been digging up old clips of Elmo and Zoe. Like, have you seen with The Rock? Oh my god, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Angry Elmo. Just, I can't imagine being the puppet tier and like they're like, okay, we want you to be a little bit miffed. It's like, how do you, how would you even draw the line as far as, you know, finding a good balance of, okay, Elmo still has to be Elmo, but he has to be slightly upset at this. <laughs> The, there were there was a couple clips where he seemed a little more than slightly upset oh, he was like really ticked off about <laughs> this rock this rock is not real do not make me pretend that this rock is alive don't give me rock cookies <laughs> <laughs> it's a rock <laughs> it's a rock it's not a, it's not a person it's Donald Cuckles <laughs> Wait, Elmo. What? Rocco says that he wants the oatmeal raisin cookie. Rocco? Rocco's a rock, Zoe! Rocco won't know the difference! Yes, he will. He, he, you can't have that cookie, Elmo. Rocco wants to eat it. How? How is Rocco going to eat that cookie, Zoe? Turn Elmo! Rocco doesn't even have a mouth! Rocco's just a rock! I will say when, <laughs> when, when this whole thing started and they brought out Baby Bear, I, I was... I, that whole character, I... Oh, that there had to have been better choices than Baby Bear. <laughs> that whole character, the voice, the whole way that he lays down. He looks like a middle-aged accountant. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a moot point as far as the over... Like, it, it has no bearing on the episode as a whole, but... I, I was just sitting there like, oh my god, I'll look and see, like, the tie, the collar. All I can see is middle-aged accountant. <laughs> What is this character? <laughs> Why does he get to go to the boss and pops people? That just seems that's just not fair. Like let, let the other guys go. He has a rich dad, I guess. Yeah, something like that. Well, I mean he's got his dad has a fancy hat, and if that's not an indicator of, you know, of being being affluent, I don't know what does. <laughs> Plus his dad apparently is like best friends with the director of the Boston Pops, so that would have been an interesting story as far as the background like oh how did these two meet how did they become friends did they go it's, to college it's one together? of those things it's like in there was like so many times in i'm thinking i guess specifically of like watching arthur did you ever watch arthur as a kid uh a little bit yeah so anytime that they would have like a celebrity guest they would have it like somehow be related to one of the characters <laughs> It happens. <laughs> like that that seemed to happen in a, a bunch of old shows. Like Arthur is the one that comes to mind the most. Just they want a celebrity. So like, oh, this is my my uncle, my third great uncle on my mom's side. Twice <laughs> removed, of course. <laughs> oh, I remember like reruns of shows back in the 80s. Like there was one where Nancy Reagan showed up and she's just like, you know, the whole say no to drugs campaign. And it's just like, where did you come from? How did you show up at this random, you know, suburban home? You know? <laughs> that also that reminds me of another one. Speaking of eighties, I guess this might have been nineties, eighties or nineties. I don't know. They had Steve Urkel show up on Full House, and he was the cousin of one of DJ's friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's incredible. Some of the um, I'm trying to think. Someone once did, and it's totally off topic, but. Someone once did a, um, like a chart to kind of show, like, 
um, kind of chart the path of all these. Oh, shows I know that what you're talking connection. about. There was the, there was a website that did that like years ago. I don't remember what it was. I was obsessed with that website for a while. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It's like you know, six degrees of separation levels. But you know, it's like uh, yeah. Cheers is connected to this, and and uh, Different Strokes is connected to um, you know, this, and just like the connections across the board. Like if you took away the one base show, you would have lost like half of the primetime television that showed up on any of the major networks. Yeah, they have them all grouped into like shared universes because like different shows would cross over with others, and then yeah. you'd have instances where like to a show from one universe crossed over with a show from another universe. So that all of these had to merge into one universe. And then at one point that somebody realized like there was one show, I don't remember what the show was called, but like the very last episode of the show revealed that the whole thing was a dream of a kid. Oh yeah. Who... Um, oh, well, St. Elsewhere was the show. It was, a, it, yeah. was it was a hospital show from the early nineties, I think, but it's like dense or Isaiah. No, Denzel Washington was one of was one of the like early guys in that show. It was the amount of people on that show was crazy. But yeah, it was the basically the dream of a of a of a kid, um, and I think the kids ward of some hospital or something like that. Yeah, but so since this show had crossed over with this other show that had crossed over with this other show that bled into this whole shared universe, it was like, does that mean that every single show, like at this point, it was like 20, 30, 40, 50 shows. <laughs> does that mean that this kid just dreamed all of these shows because this one yes. show turned out to be not real? <laughs> yes. That the answer you're searching for is an absolute resounding. Yes. <laughs> and you want to go down rabbit holes. Um, there are theories about all of the Pixar movies oh, all being part I of the know, shared I, universe. Yeah, the the it's probably just called the Pixar universe. Um, Super Carlin Brothers. Every yep. time a new a new movie comes out, they've got to fit that in there somehow. Oh yeah. At, at first, I was like, "This is an interesting theory," and now it's like, "Well, how are they going to try and cram <laughs> this one in there?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, turning red takes place on um on a snowflake the same as uh um the grinch who stole christmas <laughs> <laughs> only a pixar snowflake and not a uh not a not a dr seuss snowflake. <laughs> uh something like that <laughs> they have they they can make the weirdest connections for some of these things oh yeah well, and they're, I really, like, I love their channel. I think they do some great stuff. Oh, some me of too, it's just, yeah. like, it gets a little obsessive sometimes. Yes, <laughs> especially the Pixar theory thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get people, though, like, I've, I've got a couple of friends that are really into the Pixar theory, and I, I think it expands even a little bit beyond that. I don't think it's as far as, like, all of Disney, like, all all the animated Disney movies, but it's definitely, it, it expands a little bit beyond just Pixar, so. And it's, like... To hear them talk about it, they do it in such a way that it, you definitely go, wow, you know, it could be possible. Probably like Pixar or probably like Super Carlin Brothers before they got to this point. Yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting, though, because they, they really will try their hardest to make things that should not work together work. Like, because you have movies like Coco and then... 
my mind is completely blanking. The one That's that okay. just recently came out. Oh, turning with red. Joe, the the trumpet player. Oh, soul. Soul. <laughs> Why could I not think of soul? That's okay. It's two completely different versions of the afterlife. Mm-hmm. They should not work together. So then they come up with this idea, like that, different people go to different afterlifes based on what they believe. <laughs> Which I guess. <laughs> That works. If you... <laughs> I mean, it's one way to explain it if you wanted to go down that path. Yeah. I, it's just funny that there's literally nothing that Pixar can do that someone will not find a way to make work into the Pixar theory. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even if it's just that one little bit that works and the rest of it, it, it like the, there's one little bit that'll fit into a square or a round hole, but the rest of it's all square peg. <laughs> <laughs> I think in the Pixar theories, Monsters, Inc., does not take place in an alternate dimension it takes place in the future yep like the humans have destroyed the world that as we have seen in wally and then monsters end up evolving somehow and like the doors are actually portals to back in time <laughs> right they're kind of at the very end of the timeline if i remember correctly <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely a rabbit hole you can go down <laughs> And you can, yeah, and you could spend hours. <laughs> That's quite the tangent. <laughs> yeah, how did we even get on that? I don't remember. Well, you see, <laughs> you go back to, <laughs> you go back to Elmo, <laughs> and then and then you transition over to you know nineties uh, uh, primetime television, and then um, yeah. There was a kid. There was a kid that dreamed up, you know, like fifty possible shows, and then he also dreamed up Pixar. And anyway, <laughs> and that child's name was Elmo. Yes. <laughs> dum dum dum. <laughs> what a twist! <laughs> so yeah, Baby Bear is annoying and looks like a middle-aged accountant. Moving on. <laughs> I I I did like with Baby Bear how. He seems to know nothing, but yet he seems too smart for what he should be. Like when he's at, when they're at the symphony and like the story keeps getting interrupted because he's like freaking out and getting excited. And then everybody around him is shushing. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't know the protocol. You know, he knows the stuff, but he just gets excited. You know, he, he's you know he gets to see the Boston Pops Orchestra. I mean, yeah how how could you not how could you not get excited and forget things? You know, there are times when I'm watching the Boston Pops Orchestra that I forget to breathe. So, <laughs> so the thing that I liked most about this one, I guess, is like I've talked about with other things, and like in a lot of different versions of different things is seeing which character gets cast in which part. Oh yeah. So of course you get Elmo as Peter in this version. And I also, I really liked that they made Big Bird be the grandpa. <laughs> and they like, this is the grumpiest <laughs> Big Bird has ever been. <laughs> like Big Bird is usually like a ray of sunshine. So sweet and innocent. <laughs> and this is like, he's, Chewing Elmo out for being disobedient. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, well, someone's got to keep Elmo in line, and it's good to know that at the end of the day, Big Bird fills that role where needed. 
and then you also had Zoe as the bird, and the duck was Telly, mm-hmm. and I, I loved Oscar as the cat. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, but Telly, Telly as the duck, just that whole part was so cute. Yes, and like I through the whole thing, I was waiting because if you've seen any other version, you know the duck gets eaten, and I was like, how is Sesame Street going to handle? One of their characters getting devoured by a wolf. (laughs) (laughs) They handled it with, I mean, Sesame Street never, uh, rarely does things in a way that isn't like really well done. Like it's well thought out and it makes sense. And this is just, you know, there's no misstep there. It's cute. It's it's funny. funny. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny for more than just little kids. Like little kids going to laugh at that and go, you know, Telly took off his his bill. But then adults can look at it and go, well, that's, you know, you know, kind of smirk at it and kind of say, oh, that's pretty cute. Yeah. Because, I mean, it says me straight. You're not going to have a character straight up die. (laughs) But I love that they have the narrator say that he gets eaten. And then Telly's like. Nobody told me about this. I'm out of here. <laughs> Rips off his beak and stomps out. <laughs> but no matter how hard the duck tried to run, he couldn't escape the wolf. What's happening? He was getting nearer and nearer, catching up to him. Is he alright? And then he ate him. What? Whoa, 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 stop everything! He eats me? Nobody told me that the duck gets eaten in this story. Well, you can forget it! Well, I quit! Huh? Where's he going? That's it? You mean he's gonna leave us with the wolf while he's still hungry? Hmm. And I love I love that it came back later as a hunter. <laughs> like, I don't want to leave completely, so I'm just going to come back as a different character. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that the hunter was the two-headed... I, I love the two-headed that. monster. <laughs> yeah. I loved them as a kid. I'm, I was glad to see them have a role. I hadn't seen them in anything in ages. I thought they made a great hunter. Oh, yeah. And it, or a great it, it's pair a, of hunters. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's one thing, too. Across the board, there's... And obviously it's a bigger, it's more than just an average episode of Sesame Street, but Mm -hmm. there's so much that goes into it. You know, whether you're talking about like the, the backgrounds are so intricate, there's, there's so much interaction there's so many puppets. There's so many Mm -hmm. puppets. It's, you know, and characters that don't say a thing, they're just there to to add to it. There's little butterflies that are flying around. It's, it's a really well thought out and well-planned thing. Mm -hmm. It feels lived in as far as Muppets go. Yeah, especially in the beginning and end scene where they're like at the village and there's like all the Muppets all around. Yep. It it felt like like a Muppet movie, like Muppets Christmas Carol or something where like going through the village, it was like that level of puppets everywhere. Absolutely. And the way that they integrated the, the different um, musicians... I thought it was yes. just, like the poor the poor guy with the uh, the drums behind the tree. <laughs> I love that they had the musicians follow them around and like they're actually part of the story. Yeah, and then they get they kind of break the fourth wall and say, "Where have you guys been?" <laughs> yeah, I I like any time the, the all three of these I think broke the fourth wall, but I liked any time that they broke the fourth wall. Yeah, and it's just it, it's cute and it's it's. 
you can appreciate it as a little kid, but you can also appreciate it as an adult or just kind of watching it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't say that I would pick up this and watch it offhandedly, but it was entertaining and it had some very cute bits. It was informational. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can appreciate what it is regardless of age. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love Muppets, whether they're the Muppets or the Sesame Street Muppets, mm-hmm. they're usually very entertaining. Very much. I also liked going back to Baby Bear. He was kind of annoying at times, especially when he kept interrupting. But he had some lines that really cracked me up. I don't know why. <laughs> like when his dad <laughs> is talking about bringing him to like meet the orchestra and he's like i don't know that i'm emotionally propelled for this <laughs> that is so cute <laughs> and then later on when the conductor is introducing him to all the characters and he's like or the instruments and he's they're they're trying to teach him like about imagining the story in her head and the they have the lady playing the violin and he's like now what picture do you see in your imagination well, I see this lady playing the violin. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, that, those are very good. Um, it was also cute when the uh, the musicians are following um, the various characters around, and they kind of react the same way that the characters are reacting. Mm-hmm. Like there's one where they have kind of a moment of panic, and all of a sudden, the, all the all the musicians in the background are kind of running around doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I also liked that the wolf, this is very random, <laughs> the wolf was the big bad wolf puppet. Like if you've seen Sesame Street, you know there's the big bad wolf shows up from time to time. It's a big purple wolf puppet. Mm-hmm. And it was weird because I've been doing a bunch of Peter and the Wolf versions recently. And I was telling Sarah the last time that we recorded one that the big bad wolf, I don't remember, I don't remember if this is in an episode or not. I, but or at maybe it was after but we were talking about the big bad wolf and i was telling her that there was a big bad wolf sesame street character and cuz we were talking about different wolf puppets and how well they were made as like wolves aren't usually represented very nicely in media no, not in that respect at least and so we randomly were talking about the sesame street big bad wolf and this is before I had discovered the Sesame Street version, Peter and the Wolf. So I was I thought it was kind of funny and ironic that we had just been talking about the big bad wolf puppet and he shows up as a character in a Peter and the Wolf version from <laughs> Sesame Street. <laughs> that is cute. And that's it always seems like it goes that way. Like you talk about something and then it shows up that way. <laughs> yeah. He was a little different in this version, though, because normally he talks, and this, he was a lot closer to, like, an animalistic wolf. Mm-hmm. Like, he was on all fours at points, and he's not usually like that. He's usually more, like, an anthropomorphic character. Well, I suppose it was a good way to kind of keep separation between the characters that could talk and the characters yeah. that couldn't. It kind yeah. of... um it could have gotten too silly if he talked because there was a different version that we watched with puppets and the wolf talked and it was kind of ridiculous. There was, you, you couldn't really take the story of that seriously. Not that you could take this one that seriously, but right. it's a lot less serious when the wolf is talking and trying to weasel his way into, into and out of situations. Oh, exactly. 
And like I said, I really liked Oscar as the cat. And I loved how at the end, when Grandpa Big Bird is chewing out Elmo for doing this dangerous thing, the cat's all excited. Of like, like everybody's been too nice. <laughs> I'm ready for somebody to be grumpy. <laughs> and then he's upset when they when he apologizes and they make up. <laughs> and the whole um yeah, like you were talking the like when Big Bird at the end too is, you know, saying, Well, you know, Peter, you know, you did wrong by doing this. It's like Peter just saved the day. I mm-hmm. you know what you, you can't fault him for, you know, saving everything and basically making, you know, the wolf the wolf, you know, not a bad guy anymore and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's true to most versions of the story anyways, because you usually have the grandpa upset that Peter went out and went after the wolf on his own, but he's still proud of him for actually somehow capturing this wolf, even though he's a small child. <laughs> <laughs> Brains over bronze, right? <laughs> yeah. And the eyebrows on the uh, bad wolf puppet are hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of... His, the character's defining feature on Sesame Unders- Street. Giant caterpillar so. <laughs> eyebrows. <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't expect anything less. He's kind of like uh, Bert. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to maybe go visit the uh, salon and have them plucking them down a little bit. <laughs> he wouldn't be as iconic without his giant bushy brows. That is true. It is totally adorable. It's just, it's, it's such a cute version. And like you said, it is the most true to it. You get the music, you get to see the um, instruments in action, both in, you know, like a theatrical or the, the uh, Sesame Street setting and in an actual orchestra setting. It's got a lot of good to it. Yeah, this is definitely one that it's a very good introduction to not just Peter and the Wolf, but like classical music and orchestras in general. Mm-hmm. If you want your kid to be exposed to something a little bit more cultural, oh, this yeah. is a good stepping stone into that arena. Agreed. And uh, it was interesting, too. They actually, the all the scenes with the Boston Pops Orchestra, they actually went on location. That oh, that whole thing was an actual symphony hall wow. where they were playing. I think they recreated the sets where like they're sitting in the seats, like from when the camera is pointed at the audience, like watching everybody, I think that was a recreated set. But like when they're looking down over the audience, like that whole thing was all shot on, on location. And that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, cause to try and do what they do with the puppets, you do need a rather large amount of space. You probably wouldn't normally get with that. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I wouldn't, well, I would have noticed one, but I didn't realize that the audience, when they're getting into their seats at the beginning, most of the people around them are all Muppet performers. Oh, cool. And I, I definitely sense. would have noticed Carol Spinney because he was, I mean, I, everybody knows Carol Spinney. Mm-hmm. So he was in the back, but most of the people around them were some of the the other, I guess, lesser known, not as famous <laughs> as Carol Spinney, Muppet performers. <laughs> the one that handles the uh, big bad wolf or something like that right <laughs> that's a cool piece of trivia very cool so where does this one rank for you as far as um amongst all the other ones that you've reviewed um, maybe 
third. It depends on... There's one that I watch that I haven't decided exactly how I feel about it yet. <laughs> like, That's it is fair. bizarre. Like, it, it did Peter and the Wolf and then went off on a whole different direction. And the puppets were weird. But it was, like, bizarrely entertaining. So, even though I was confused for at least half of it, I did <laughs> like it. And it might be my second favorite version. But then there was another one with Art Carney. Oh my god. <laughs> did, he, did, he, did he do as good of a job as he did in the Star Wars Holiday Special? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was really cheesy, and it was, but it was entertaining. So I, I don't know if that one should be up in my top ranking or not. I mean, it's not like there's a ton of versions of Peter and the Wolf to right, choose from. Right. And the one that is the best is far beyond any of the others like it is the absolute best and no other version could ever top it it's like a, a really amazing stop motion short film oh like, nice i think you would like it you, you should Let's watch it, it sometime if you can find it yeah that one is my favorite and then the others are like really far down below that <laughs> but the sesame street one is near the top of the second tier versions that i've seen i get you, I get you. well and that you can see the work that went into it there is there's a that you can tell that there's love towards all parts of it yes plus i mean it's muppets so yeah <laughs> i love muppets <laughs> you have good taste well yeah i think that's about all for these yeah i'm glad we could do these because i was about like i was about to wrap up my Peter and the Wolf series, and then I don't know how I missed these, <laughs> because when I was looking for different versions, I did not see these in any list, and suddenly I just I noticed these in like a line on Wikipedia, and I was like, "Oh no, I can't not do Muppets, not. Sesame Street, and Tiny Toons. I cannot <laughs> not do them." So I had to get you on board too, because I mean, got it have you involved somehow because you hadn't done any Peter and the Wolf yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Like I say, the, I, I kind of feel bad because I, I know the music. Like the, It's one of those things where you hear it and you just know mm -hmm. it, but you don't necessarily yeah. know where it comes from. And mm -hmm. I mean, it was informational for me. Like there was a lot that I had never, or, you know, or if you did, you'd learned it as a kid and you kind of forgot about some of it. So mm -hmm. it was a cool little walk down memory lane with some of the things I grew up with. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't seen Tiny Toons in a long time, even though, like, I I bought the DVDs years ago, but I hadn't watched them in ages. So yeah. it was nice to see them again. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, anything like that is going to be a time and place thing. If you don't have a reason to watch them, and they're not necessarily something you're going to sit down and just watch. Yeah, none of these really were. So it's it's nice that these series kind of give me an excuse to watch some things that I probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. Oh, yeah. Plus, I mean, how often do you get to watch someone, you know, uh, uh, play a bassoon? <laughs> Not very often, although I have seen it semi-often in the last couple of months, watching the various <laughs> versions of Peter and the Wolf. There you, <laughs> you have been fulfilled then. <laughs> I'm just uh, kind of watching back over stuff as we go along here and Man, they really, they knew how to tie knots in that poor wolf. <laughs> it wasn't going anywhere. 
Oh yeah, I lo- I loved the scene when everybody like jumps on the wolf. <laughs> like <laughs> just throw the puppets at him. On the count of three. It's okay, I won't let him hurt you, but no more of that stuff, okay? There's a good boy, yeah. Okay. Well, that is the way to ultimately, you know, tackle a wolf. Y'all just kind of uh, pig pile. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't trust myself any other way. There's a lot of people, you gotta, you gotta all go at once. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't embody that wolf, he's gonna try and do it again, even if you catch him. Yeah, you'll end up like the duck. You <laughs> <laughs> mean dripping off your own bill? <laughs> uh, the duck in other versions where ah. he is swallowed whole and never heard from again. Oh, I thought he just disappeared. <laughs> You're telling me he was eaten? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Poor duck. Poor Fozzie. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of versions try to soften that and have the duck miraculously survive somehow. <laughs> and that's not how it went in the original story. No, but you look at a lot of that stuff. I mean, whether you're talking like Hans Christian Andersen, like the original Hans Christian Andersen um, stories, Aesop's fairy tales, all of those things were a lot more harsh back in the day and they've been kind of mellowed down through the ages. Yeah, we were talking about that when I think when in the first one that we recorded, where we were like, you can tell that this one wasn't like an Aesop's fable or Grimm's Brothers because Peter didn't die, <laughs> <laughs> only the duck did. Exactly. If, if the Grimm's Brothers had written this, the wolf would have eaten Peter, and the moral would have been, Listen to your grandfather, you'll be devoured by a wolf. <laughs> You know, generally speaking, that is incredibly good life advice that not enough people listen to. <laughs> and as you go forward, make sure to pay attention to that, people. Yes. Always listen to your grandfather or you'll be devoured by wild beasts. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess that'll be it for this episode. Excellent. As always, an absolute pleasure. You want to let people know where they can find you if they want more content from you? Absolutely. If you also don't want to be devoured by a wolf, unfortunately, or just disappear randomly, you know, halfway through a movie, you can find me here on YouTube at Trivial Theater. Uh, Just type that in and uh, you'll find me. You can also find me on Twitter at Trivia underscore Chick. Okay. And I will have those linked below. Well, until next time. It has been an absolute pleasure as always, and uh, may your French horns always give you a warning that a wolf is on the way. (laughs) A very good well wish to leave with. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Every Version Ever. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to the Every Version Ever YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well. Any relevant links will be in the description for easy access. 
We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.